Welcome to episode 188 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 1st of August 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. How's it going? Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. It's officially come home. <laughs> yes, well done, the Lionesses. They did us proud. Oh, football, yeah. yeah. What's this? We won the football, finally. All right. Yeah, but it was the ladies who did it for us, because the gents are too useless. <laughs> Anyway, before we get into the news, uh, well, I suppose it is technically a news item. We've got new artwork, asterisk, on every show apart from this one. I decided uh, my plan is now complete. I uh, started the other two shows, Linux Downtime and uh, Linux After Dark, just to troll fail him mm-hmm. because they could get new artwork and we would keep ours. Boo! <laughs> so if you're subscribed to the All Episodes feed, then you'll have slightly new artwork as well. That was thanks to a... Friendly chap on Fiverr. So uh, that all worked out nicely. And failing you uh, don't get to complain, I'm afraid, because we're keeping our art for now. Cool. <laughs> uh, another quick mention for the meetup as well. That is going to be on the 5th of August, so this Friday. So very soon. So that's near the London Eye on the banks of the River Thames on the South Bank. It is 6 p.m. onwards, I think. So be there and be square, as I keep saying. And we might record something. I'll take the equipment. We'll see how it goes. So, uh, yeah, final reminder for that. There'll be a link in the show notes to the meetup page. So we recorded a bit early last time. And after we recorded, but before the show went out, Microsoft clarified their store policy on commercial FOSS. So, Phelan, you look like a bit of a twat now. Do I, though? I was saying all the things that were true at the time. And I'd still like to see what amazing wording they come out with to fucking make this legit, because... I think that's an impossible task. Well, they've already changed the wording, and it's fine. So I guess I'll just legally duplicate a project then, and then start charging money for, say, I don't know, the GIMP. I'll call it Glimpse, say. And uh, I am entitled to do that, and therefore I will continue to do that. And there wouldn't be a problem with that, then, I take it. Look, the bottom line is that they clumsily worded it in the first place, and they tried to stop people taking the piss And now they've clarified it a bit after some backlash. I think that we've had a lot of debate generally recently about Microsoft and stuff, but uh, I think in this case, you have to give them a bit of credit. I think you were too harsh on them, Phelan. Well, I just think with open source, you're entitled to fork a project and change the name and make money from it. It's a walled garden at the end of the day, and it's their store. They can have whatever apps they want. I know, but what what rule are they going to pick that says, you know, well, you're this? Ah, yeah, well, I mean, okay. But uh, I still think that's bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to stick up for obvious, obvious dodgy bastards who are shafting good open source developers. But how you word this thing is almost as how you make money in open source. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're going to finally solve the problem. Oh, cool. (laughs) Look forward to that then. Well, either way, I think we needed to bring it up as a a follow-up. But more trolling of you failing. (laughs) This is why I have to go to the doctor more. (laughs) (laughs) So Linus Torvalds has released the 5.19 kernel, and he just happened to mention in the release announcement that he did it from an ARM Mac running Asahi Linux. Good for him. That's great. <laughs> and I suppose he didn't need to use Apple OS to uh, to run Linux then, did he? Because it's all totally... Oh, wait. Yeah, okay. It's still permission OS. Well, it's funny that back in November 2020, he had said that he didn't expect Linux to ever run on these machines. And here he is actually using it. 
I think it's really good. I think just in terms of the effort Asahi Linux has put into this project to get to this state where Linus is... <laughs> Wasted. You know, well, no, if anything, <laughs> Linus doing it adds credence to the project and momentum to the project, making it harder for Apple to cancel it. I never thought we'd get this far. I, I remember, well, I think I remember us talking about it way back when. And as far as I can remember, I was very dismissive of their ability to even get it to, to start up. But the fact that we've got this far is, yeah, like, like Graham says, a real credit to them and gives a lot of credibility to the whole project. And uh, I think it's fantastic. And I look forward to seeing what the future holds. Yeah, on my M1 MacBook Air... There was no sound previously, but now you can get sound with Bluetooth. That happened recently, but unfortunately, all the Bluetooth devices I've tried do it in that shit quality mode and can't do the um, the high fidelity mode. So hopefully that'll get improved soon. I think that might just be Linux. <laughs> I've got a bookmark in my bookmarks bar called Better Bluetooth Headset Audio Quality with MSBC, uh, which talks about setting up um, pipe wire and installing the necessary codecs to make the high quality stuff work. And it's been on my backlog for, well, since May last year. So that's something I, I do want to get on. So I'll try that and see how we get on. Okay. Because I don't have a problem with my current audio devices with just Zubuntu, just 20 or 4 mostly. It just works perfectly. I just connect to it and uh, just works. I think the deal with it is that you can have high-quality listening, but you can't simultaneously have high-quality microphone input. Ah. You can have one or the other. Or, in fact, I don't think you can have high-quality input, microphone input at all. Uh, I think you get locked into this... Um, I can't remember what it's called now, A2DP, or maybe I'm thinking of something else, some kind of mode that the headset does, which is listen only, and this will enable high quality both ways and a better codec. Oh, right, that does make sense, because I have tried to do calls with my Bluetooth headphones, and I could hear the other person, but all they could hear was, I think, the monitor, so what I was hearing, mm. so they could hear the YouTube video that I was watching. Thankfully, it was Sky News and not MuckyJPegs.com, so it wasn't <laughs> embarrassing. But uh, yeah, Bluetooth is generally still a bit hit and miss, but for just listening to stuff, just watching YouTube yeah. videos and whatnot, yeah. it's it's absolutely fine for me, except on Asahi yet. Mm. And that's the real blocker for me because I can't really use a laptop without sound. Mm. So that's why I've not been able to daily drive it, but presumably Torvalds doesn't care about that. Maybe he's just listening to uh, his AirPods from his iPhone or something. <laughs> but yeah, it must be uh, good for the Asahi team. They must be very proud of it. They've been tweeting about it and that. And it's uh, it's definitely going to add a lot of credibility to the to the project. And, and like you say, it makes it much harder for Apple to shut it down now because it's not just a bunch of nerds running it. It is like the king of the nerds running it. And if they piss him off, there's going to be a big stink about it. So you're wrong, failing again, as usual. We'll see. All right, well, something you can gloat about, Fanim, then, and that is that uh, one district of Denmark has banned Chromebooks and Google Workspace in schools, and it may spread to other parts of Denmark and, indeed, potentially to the rest of the EU. Yeah, I'd like to think this is great, but I half fear that they're looking for a Microsoft campus in their area mm. because there's nothing else mm. going on. She's so cynical. Lure back butter's not doing so well, so uh, let's have a Microsoft campus. Well, this all comes down to GDPR stuff and how the data doesn't necessarily stay in Europe. And that is the complaint here. 
because they, they put a team on investigating that and they found that no, as far as they are concerned, it doesn't meet GDPR standards. Google denies that and says it's fine, obviously, but it looks like it's the end of Google Workspace and Chromebooks in the education system, in Denmark at least. I don't know why you have to be so cynical about it, Phelan, and say, oh, there's ulterior motives. Well, I wasn't saying ulterior motives, but I mean, I think it's about time that people realize that a US company is sort of told by the US government to do whatever with the data. We had the case of Microsoft not wanting to release an email that was based in servers in Ireland, and they were told by the FBI or whatever that, yeah, no, they had to because they're a U.S. company. And, well, you know, Google's a U.S. company too. They might have a European division, but it's still a U.S. company. And that goes against the rules that we have protecting our data in Europe. Yeah, and as you know, the Irish government's really hostile to big American tech, especially when it comes to tax. Hey, we have a legal tax system. It's 12.5%. It, that's the way it works. I pay my taxes. Every other country has crazy amounts of loopholes, etc. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think any company, a country's perfect on that one. But some are less perfect than others, eh? I resent that, and that is bullshit as well. You're just falling in with some sort of nonsense. <laughs> Anti-Irish propaganda. It is. Yeah, next to be fucking talking about getting drunk and having red hair and eating potatoes all day. What did you have for dinner? Okay, today I had potatoes. That is just <laughs> an amazing coincidence. <laughs> Fucking ask me what I had yesterday. Oh, no, shit, I had chips. And uh, what colour was your hair before you went grey? This is racism. I, I had brown hair, you fuckers. You're as ginger as the day is long. It's luxuriously brown. Thanks very much. Next you'll be telling me my beard isn't ginger. <laughs> it's purple, Joe. It's purple. <laughs> Quick mention for the microcode decryptor. Now, I'm not going to even attempt to pretend i understand what this does or is i do but my phone's ringing i'll be back in a few minutes <laughs> <laughs> all i know is that x86 processors particularly the intel ones run a lot of just well they run their own operating system essentially and this microcode decryptor has been released that can make some sense of the intel microcode if you know what you're doing the implication from the GitHub page, and I say implication because I've read it a couple of times and I don't understand it at all, but the implication is that the x86 instruction set is implemented in largely microcode rather than you know being burnt into logic circuits, which is quite extraordinary that it's effectively a great big virtual machine, although it does answer quite a lot of the questions I had about the various um, bugs that have been reported. I don't really know what the practical upshot of this existing is, but it's very cool nonetheless, and it's really interesting to get a peek behind the curtain. Yeah, I think that's why I'm interested in it as well, because we all knew it was there, we didn't know what it did, and we still don't know fully what probably those processes are doing, but it's still, this is a, a piece in the puzzle, and it's interesting to see people making headway and at least decrypting it. I can't wait till they find a big load of security vulnerabilities that you can't fix. Yeah, yeah. Can't fix and can't see, let, let alone that, because <laughs> it's in ring minus one. Like, oh, So far, it seems to be relatively old CPUs. Like, There's a lot of Atom stuff in there and Celeron and stuff like that. So maybe when they do discover all of the secret spyware and they can't patch around it, maybe it's not the end of the world. But we would have to assume that 
the code in here is largely similar to the stuff that's in production today in all of the cloud vendors, for example. So, yeah, lols afoot, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we've talked about how Mozilla is on the right track lately, and Firefox has got this uh, UTM stripper built into it now so that when you copy a link and there's loads of shit after the actual bit that you need for tracking and whatnot, it takes that off. Well, the inevitable has happened, and Facebook are now effectively encrypting their links. So the whole link now is just all the bullshit, so you can't take it off the end of it. This is an alarming development in this arms race. Alarming in the sense that people who still use Facebook for a lot of stuff are going to be exploited. But my reading of the news recently is that Facebook is on a massive decline and very shortly will cease to be relevant. I've checked in on Facebook, by which I mean I've opened up the website a couple of times in the last month, and it's changed from being pictures of my friend's kids to just basically adverts. So I don't think that Facebook has got much time left and good fucking riddance to it. Oh, I agree. Totally. When I open it up, it used to be, as you say, pictures of my friend's kids. And now it's just like weird videos of uh, art of like people doing four versions of something like they'll draw four versions of a mouth or something. And one's basic and one's a little bit better and one's a bit better than that. And then one's super realistic, which actually does suck me in. It is quite mesmerizing. But I don't think that that is the point here. I don't think the point is that Facebook is doing this. I think the fact is that someone is doing it and this will spread. And at least with Twitter at the moment, for example, it's very obvious. And a lot of sites, you can see all that stuff after the question mark. But if it's all just within one big long string that you can't take the bullshit off, then that's going to make it really hard. And hopefully the clever people at Mozilla will come up with a way around it. I can't see how, but you never know. I think if you ran a service and the browser sent the URL to the service and the service looked it up and gave you back the decrypted version and didn't keep logs and promised not to track you honest gov, then that's a way around it. Maybe people would host those on their own network. Maybe you could paste um, you know, a, a local URL into Mozilla, into Firefox, and say, pre-process my URLs from this place. And, you know, it's a, a VM in a cloud service somewhere. I can see a way around it. An interesting pro tip on Twitter, by the way, is that all of the URLs, the outgoing URLs from Twitter, go to Twitter Analytics before they then redirect you to the actual location. If you block that domain with Pihole, for example, then the first click will fail. The second click will then subsequently work. So you should all do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very sneaky. Well, I had to allow list, uh, is it t.co, which is uh, like all the links go through that because on my phone, I just couldn't open links off Twitter anymore until I went into Adaway and uh, allow listed that. And I tried doing the multiple clicks and it just didn't work. So maybe it does on desktop, but not on uh, mobile seemingly. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think if it's a hyperlink and it's accessible from a browser, there must be a way that we can work around this. And it's going to be more hoop jumping and more dodgy hacks. And it, the arms race will continue. But for people in the know, there will be ways around it. And for people not in the know, there will always be uh, people spying on them. I don't really think there's a lot we can do to stop them. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. 
Go to linode.com slash late night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And that contains this show, Linux After Dark, and Linux Downtime. And if you want to get in contact, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Phelim, you found a blog post from Ian Jackson about what he calls his Debian skip, skip, cross upgrade, where he skipped some versions of Debian and upgraded from 32-bit to 64-bit. Legend, I think is the word. And it turns out the guy wrote Dpackage, so now it all makes sense because I was (laughs) beginning to think, what the fuck have I been doing wrong in my life that I can't do this? But no, it all makes sense now. But yeah, I mean, clearly... Nobody wants to do this, but this is brilliant. Like, it really is amazing. I get chill brains just thinking about it, to be quite honest. Because, <laughs> I mean, hey, I upgraded my Deb 9 box up to 10, and I thought, whoa, I was doing well there. Thank fuck for that, because I was leaving it very much till the point it was like a week past the uh, end of support for Deb 9. And I thought I was living dangerously, but Jesus Christ, this guy is a whole new level. Yeah, he went from Jesse to Bullseye. Something that confused me about this, though, is that this server is supposedly 30 years old, but then he just casually drops in, obviously it's had several new hardware platforms. So it's not really an actual physical machine. Like, it must just be an installation on a disk or something, and, and maybe he's just like copied that image across to other disks. I don't know, I think he's cheating. Well, haha. Okay, well, I'd see you maintain that then and tell me how much cheating's going on there. But I think he's been <laughs> shifting this onto new drives gradually and then, you know, obviously expanding RAID arrays and God knows what, switching them to new disks. Yeah, as you say, and put it into new motherboards. I think someone needs to tell him about the cloud. No, I don't think anybody does because I think this is the type of stuff we need to do more of because I think this is what really finds issues. Because if we're all busy automating and blowing away servers within 200 microseconds or whatever, we don't find the issues that might be lurking away there. Whereas this type of stuff really does find it. So I think there's a, there's a place for everything. And uh, yeah, as long as he does it and not me, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Talk about corner cases, though. I mean, he did find quite a lot of corner cases in this skip, skip, cross upgrade. Yeah, but it's what you want, though. Yeah, you might say, well, what's the use case? Who else is doing this? Maybe not. But if you can make your software do all of these things and do it reliably and find all the bugs, it, it's bound to fix a bug for somebody else for some other reason, not necessarily if they're doing this exact thing. I just think it's uh, it's some serious uh, legionary work going on there. Now, fair play to him. When you read through everything he had to do, it is quite impressive. 
I mean, the bit where it really got me was the LVM on raid on LVM. I just went, oh my Jesus Christ, I need to stop now. <laughs> okay, official Unreal Engine 5 editor binaries for Linux have been published. This sounds like gaming and not my area of expertise. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to see. Um, the, the link that we link to here is like a third party guy who fixed some bugs in SDL and happened to notice that this had gone out. I haven't seen, although I haven't looked for an official Epic Games Unreal Engine press release or anything about this, but there it is. It's out there. It's, it's full on Linux support. Looking at their docs for recommended hardware and software to install it on they're recommending ubuntu 2004 or 2204 uh clang 13 uh ides could be vs code or c line or cute creator so fairing will be happy um and some very modest hardware requirements quad core two and a half gigahertz 32 gig of ram which is quite a lot but then uh, a 960 nvidia graphics card with eight gig of ram so I don't know what that is, five, six-year-old hardware, probably, just with a significant amount of RAM. And I wish that I'd learned Unreal Engine about 10 years ago and I could be making some smart games. Yeah, I think it's great news. Um, I think Fortnite now runs on the Steam Deck, I'm not sure, but for a long time, you know, Epic kind of ignored Linux gamers and maybe this is another aspect of them warming to the idea of Linux being a a first-class citizen in the gaming world. See, inadvertently, this is trolling me because I don't like Tim Sweeney and now, <laughs> now I'm going to have to change my mind. Oh, no. I wonder if it's got anything to do with the Steam Deck because that has been massively successful, as we've talked about. And maybe it really is pushing the industry slightly more towards Linux then. I know that I mentioned it in the last couple of episodes, but it's still amazing to me that I see people talking about installing Linux packages and working around things and commenting on Linux. And I haven't tried it myself, but Fortnite apparently does run on a Steam Deck through Proton, and that obviously has been enabled by Epic. Wow. And that's something that I think they originally said back, you know, 18 months ago they wouldn't do. Yeah, he, he was very vocal about mm. not being up for that. So that's that's quite impressive. Yeah, I seem to remember it's something about easy anti-cheat not working, yeah. and if they caught you using it, they were going to ban you from everywhere. So that's a very significant change. Yeah, I need to try it. I'll try it and let you know. Because <laughs> I don't care if I get banned. Research. <laughs> Fail him. What do you hate more, Microsoft or NFT? <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> Well, while you think about that, let me explain why I asked the question. So there's this thing called NFT Worlds, which is kind of a Minecraft hanger-on. As the name suggests, it's just NFT bullshit for Minecraft. And they've been working for about a year to build up their company based on the fact they're going to sell a bunch of NFTs for people to play Minecraft. I don't fucking know. I don't care. But what I do care about is that Mojang slash Microsoft, who own Minecraft, have shut that shit down. They've said, no, we're not allowing NFTs. And they're quite diplomatic about it. They don't go into the details of why NFTs are fucking bullshit. But they banned it. And so now this company's like, well, we'll just make our own version of Minecraft then. And uh, everyone's like, yeah, good luck with that, chaps. So well done, Microsoft slash Mojang, for fucking up these NFT clowns. Right on. Very conflicted right now. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very conflicted. Well, I've just decided that I only make podcasts to troll you now, Phelan. I I am beginning to spot that pattern, to be quite (laughs) honest. (laughs) Let's do a quick KDE corner then. 
The first one is that Latte Doc appears to be dead. Yeah, now, I think it's just a sort of the way life goes that it, it actually used up so much time for the developer and he couldn't dedicate enough to it. But yeah, I mean, I was never a user of Docs. I don't really get why you'd want one, but I know a lot of people do like that sort of thing. So yeah, I guess it's a shame, but I mean, the project is still there to be taken by anybody to carry it on. So I guess there's always that thing that hopefully someone will pick it up and do the job. I did see one of those bullshit listicles on some Mickey Mouse site that was like uh, seven docs that you can run on Linux and it's just right in there. And this was well after the announcement. So it clearly hasn't got that much traction that it's uh, yeah. going away. I mean, it's not going to go away as such, is it? But it's not going to get any more development, no new releases unless someone picks it up, which I don't know, seems unlikely. I mean, when we talked about this briefly, we said, well, we don't really use docs, do we? No, I don't, I don't, I don't get the gist. I really don't. No. Given that you can basically create a doc out of a panel, but uh, that's probably controversial to people who actually use docs. <laughs> I think it's true in KDE's sense, though, in particular, because you can do so much with the panel configuration, you know, change the width, change the location, change it floating from the edge, anything you want. Auto-hide, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. The orientation. Even in XFCE, you can do a lot of that to some extent. Ah, uh, sure you can, yeah. <laughs> you can. As long as you write your own code in C. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, what's the eco sprint then? So this is the first follow-up to the one that was back in May. The main idea of this one was to equip the lab with some tooling and uh, to measure it using KDE and free software. They sort of had a bit of a maybe not quite as good as they had hoped because previously they had tried one sensor and then they used another one which is called, I don't know if it's GUDE or GUD Export Power Control 1202. I'm not sure what it's actually termed as but they were using it has snmp built in and they were noticing that they're actually getting delays of about like five to ten seconds in reads from that so it was kind of skewing all the results and um, which is a bit of a unhelpful thing so they're trying to fix that up and there's a bit more of an in-detail write-up by volker kraus about them actually digging into that hardware which is kind of cool the main goal that they're trying to do is to look for when energy consumption is main mainly happening and then try and shift it to a point when there's renewables in use. Obvious example of that would be updates on the system. And then there's things like Grid Intensity Go, which is a project that analyzes various countries when they're using wind power, etc., and to kind of get an idea when the best time to use that energy is. So, I mean, it's quite an interesting idea. I imagine it's quite a hard project to do, but uh, it's good to see they're making effort on it. And there is a Get Involved project page as well, and every second Wednesday of the month, they meet up for an hour at uh, 1900 uh, European time. And uh, if you are interested, you can go help out. All right. Kate incremental updates and an itinerary update. Just a quick one from, from the Kate project, just that it's keeping developing on. There's only incremental updates in 2208, but it's going to see slicker default look and feel improvements for the LSP stuff, which is the... I think, is it language server process or something like that? I use it for Python where I can, you know, get all the syntax highlighting and error checking and things like that that comes back from it. There's multi-cursor support in this one as well. So for people who like the kind of console-based way of doing things in Vim and the like, where you can type in one area and copy from somewhere else, things like that. And um, quite a fun thing was that they have now redone KWrite. So KWrite is essentially just a stripped-down version of the Kate lower level stuff and it's about 200 lines of c++ which i thought was kind of funny 
Itinerary has also had some updates, so uh, loads of fixes, new formats. There's a polar day and night, which for any of our listeners who happen to live north of the Arctic Circle or below the Antarctic Circle and don't have a start and end to a day for certain times of years, you're covered now. <laughs> that is the most KDE thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is really. Uh, it's, uh, it's quite funny. But uh, they've fixed up a lot of stuff for Android as well. So the translation catalog files apparently is a thing that used for all the uh, translations on the phone apps they've made some much more improvements on that sort of they're faster to use less disk space but they also um Volker also read talks about academy going to academy and that is from the first and 7th of october in barcelona so if you have time and if you can go there all right and discover has had some love yeah so alish paul is done some work on this it's one of nate's updates for the week and uh I don't know, I'm suspicious. Maybe this has something to do with the, the Steam Deck getting a lot more people hammering away at Discover. I don't know if this is true or not, but pure speculation. But he's got a few updates on that. Uh, things like um, licenses not being proprietary, marking them as they are, warns about beta channels. The flat pack stuff is way better now. It's um, shown when it's a user or system repo, and it's shown a better priority for packages so they're honored correctly and faster startup with the Flatpak backend. It all sounds very like things on a read-only file system that use Flatpaks to do other stuff. I don't know. Conspiracy, perhaps. Mm. All right. And multi-head is going the way of Latte Doc, it seems. Yeah. This probably doesn't affect anybody, most likely. But if you know that you use multi-head rather than uh, Zinorama, it's going to go away if you use KDE. So... uh update your way of doing things because uh, it will no longer be there. And that is to improve reliability and to get rid of old stale code that has just not been updated. So that was more of a service to anybody who might not have realized. Right. Well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll have some discoveries and feedback and who knows what else. But until then, I've been John. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. 